the type of community it is, the things it does. And we started out a couple weeks ago by talking about the church as a gospel community. Uh, the church is not just a community for community's sake, we said, but a community that comes together under the gospel, the announcement that the crucified and risen Jesus is king. It's a community of people that have been justified vertically, right with God, and who therefore live lives of justice uh, for Christ. That was two weeks ago, gospel community. Last week, Dan gave a great message on the church as a growing community. Uh, he talked about uh, the church as a community of people whose vision is bigger than their own little lives and who desire to see the miracle of other people coming to know and love Jesus and to come to be part of the gospel community. We saw this miracle of Peter's great catch of fish and, and in that, that, that God wants to wake us up to the, the amazing things that, that he uh, wants to do in our midst to make us fishers of men and women. So gospel community and growing community. Uh, today, we turn to consider the church as a creative community. Creative community. Uh, creativity is essential to community uh, because a community is more than just a group of people who share the same ideas or values um, or affections. Community is something that consists in embodied practices and things, um, tangible realities that we hold in common. Uh, these are essential, and the church as a growing gospel community requires certain things and practices that we have in common that bind us together around the gospel. Christian community is a place that has a culture, that's something that has to be cultivated and tended and developed uh, under the lordship of Jesus, and that requires all sorts of creativity. So today I want to look at what sort of creative community is the church. And we're going to look at all three of the scripture readings that we read. The one from Exodus 31, Luke 5, Colossians 3. And I want to show you three specific ways the church is to be a creative community. There are probably more than this, but I'll look at uh, three of them. First, let's pray. Lord, may the meditations of our hearts, the words of my mouth, be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. Speak now, for your servants are listening. Bind us together in love as your people. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So first, I want to talk about the church as a community of making. A community of making, a, a place where people are freed for creative work that glorifies God. A community of making. And we're going to look at Exodus 31 together, the first six verses of that, that chapter. So if you have the Bibles, uh, the Pew Bibles there, it's on page 66. Um, and as you turn there, let me remind you where we are in the biblical story. At the beginning of Exodus, God's people have been enslaved in Egypt for 400 years making bricks for Pharaoh. But then God rescues them miraculously. He sustains them in the wilderness on their way to the promised land. And in Exodus 19, God then calls the people to Mount Sinai. And he calls Moses up to the top of Mount Sinai. And the people wait at the bottom for 40 days. Moses is on the mountain for 40 days. And while he's up there, he receives the law, the Ten Commandments. We know that. 
But God also, it seems, spends a lot of time from chapters 25 all the way to 30 uh, explaining to Moses this massive building project he has for the people. He gives them this work order. He, he wants them to make something for him, a, a tabernacle where his presence will dwell with them. Then we get down to chapter 31, and God describes his provision for this great building project, how this is going to come about. And in verses 1 through 6, we read, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones for setting, and in carving wood to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. So God gives them this massive building project, this elaborate project to make a tabernacle. And the tabernacle will be this place that brings God's presence into the center of their lives. And God promises to give specific people creative ability to build this thing together. He calls this man Bezalel, Aholiab. He promises to fill them with his Holy Spirit. But it's not just them. Notice it involves a lot of other people. Look at verse 6. I have given all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Think about what's going on here. The people have just come out of slavery for 400 years where their work was grueling and degrading. It certainly wasn't creative or fulfilling work. There was no rest for them. And God redeems them from Egypt he gives them his law, and he gives them this work project. What is he doing with this? He is redeeming work for them. He's giving them a type of work to do that is dignifying and satisfying, that will involve skill and beauty, that will result in the glory of God and the good of the nation, and even the world, since Israel is to be a light to the nations. It's a creative work that will itself be a redeemed work that will then stand at the center of their lives to order and redeem all the other work that they do. This is about the redemption of work, restoring their calling to be creators and culture makers under God's rule. It's so different from Pharaoh's. You'll notice if, if you look what goes beyond this passage, it's about the Sabbath. This work will be punctuated by rest. It will flow from rest, unlike the work they did in Egypt. As we're liberated by the gospel of Jesus and filled with his spirit, our calling to creative work, to making, is renewed. Christ wants to set us free from the slavery uh, to being defined by our work. He wants to remove the shame uh, that has kept us constantly afraid of failure. He, he wants to fill us with his spirit and give us skill and imagination to bring order to chaos. For each of us, he's placed us in a certain time and place, given us certain opportunities and skills, and empowers us to use them. The church is a creative community in that it's a people who are learning to work in the newness of the Spirit. And I think the church can and should be a, a, a creative community in at least a, a couple of ways. Generally, it's a place that affirms the work we do, but also a place that provides 
respite from a world that values or devalues us on the basis of our work. If a healthy gospel community is at the center of your life, it will put the work you do or, or don't do into its proper perspective, which will act, actually free you for the making God has called you to do. You know, a lot of us uh, have jobs that are very fulfilling and where we get to use our creative abilities. Um, but not everyone has that. Not everyone in our city has that. Not everyone in our world has that. And so second, the church is itself a community where people are freed and empowered to do work as worshipful play as meaningful work within the context of the church, work that glorifies God, to create things that go beyond sheer productivity, a, a context where God's people use and develop gifts and abilities of creativity, to make and fix things, to produce works of art and beautiful objects. You know, one of the, the great things that's been happening at Res over the last year is uh, this group of artists and writers and poets and actors and musicians and woodworkers who get together to enjoy their work, to collaborate on projects that they can share with the church and with the world. We desperately need these gifts to be developed and shared with us if we're to be a vibrant, worshipful community. Uh, in his 1999 letter to artists, Pope John Paul II writes, in order to communicate the message entrusted to her by Christ, the church needs art. Art must make perceptible and as far as possible attractive the world of the spirit of the invisible of God. Art has a unique capacity to take one or other facet of the message and translate it into colors, shapes, and sounds which nourish the intuition of those who look or listen. As a community, the church depends on people who can bring beauty in the creative arts. Now, they don't have to be professional artists or high art, but who can really do uh, these kinds of things. And, and again, also, I think uh, the church is a place where people that don't get to engage this side of themselves, other places can come and be able to, uh, to learn how to do this sort of creative work that they were called to do once again. Uh, if you feel like you're not creative in what we typically think of as creativity and art, um, I totally understand. Uh, I have failed one class in my life as a student, and it was seventh grade art. <laughs> What's so funny? Um, I, I couldn't even do the most basic origami, the, the crane that you start with. It was a, off to a terrible start with Miss Gaskins, and she hated me, and I hated her. She thought I was the dumbest kid ever, and yeah. Uh, to date, my highest feats of craftsmanship are, are the couple of times I've put together IKEA furniture correctly on the first try. But I've realized that this is okay. I get to enjoy those who are creative in ways that I'm not. Um, God has given me other tasks of making. The church should be this community of, of making and, and a place where people are engaged in doing creative work. And the church itself is like this big project that, that we need to bring our creativity to uh, as we are a gospel-growing community. It's a community of making. Here's the second thing, and we'll flip to Luke's gospel. This one's fun. We can all participate in this. It's 
a community of meals. A creative community is a community of meals. It's a community of hospitality that invites people to feast. It's a community of meals. Um, Luke 5, uh, our reading there is on page 809. And in it, we read about the call of this man named Levi. And it all revolves around a meal. Uh, let's look at the first few verses again together. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. This is simple. Jesus calls Levi to follow. He follows. And what does following mean for Levi? He calls him to put on a feast and invite others over. Levi goes from being a, a self-concerned tax collector to a man of lavish generosity, a person who's creating space where other people can come and meet with Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, Levi becomes a person of hospitality, and Jesus uses this to bring others into his kingdom. I think we're supposed to see texts like this and make a pretty literal application. One of the ways in which the church is creative is in its hospitality, in creating space for people. It's in making and sharing meals. Uh, in the Bible, God has a way of showing up at meals. At the center of the Old Testament story, what do we find? The Passover. It's a meal. At the heart of Christian worship, we have a meal. The Lord's Supper. Meals are powerfully transformative. Intentional hospitality has always had a central role in creating and expanding community, opening people up to know God for the first time or to worship him in, in a renewed way. Meals are powerful. One of my favorite meal stories uh, comes from the film Babette's Feast. Uh, someone told me that no one knows about this movie anymore. Is that true? I see like a couple of hands. Um, it's set in a strict fundamentalist community in Denmark, and Babette is the cook for the two elderly sisters who run a strict Christian community. Uh, Babette was once a chef to the nobility in her native France, but the two women who run the community, they have no idea. And they demand that every night Babette make the same exact dreary meal, boiled fish and potatoes. And Babette dreams of getting out of this tiny village and going back to France. And after 14 years, the unthinkable happens. She wins a lottery of 10,000 francs. But instead of returning to France immediately, uh, she offers to prepare a special French meal for the 100th anniversary of the founding of this community. And at first, the people refuse. They say, no, 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 it'd be sinful for us to indulge so luxuriously. But she begs them, and they finally give in, uh, but they secretly vow that they won't enjoy it. And so Babette makes preparations for her feast. She has the finest goods shipped in from France. There's, the, there's an exquisite turtle soup served with expensive sherry. There's, there are buckwheat pancakes topped with caviar and sour cream and served with champagne. Uh, Babette's specialty is quail pastries with duck fat and truffle sauce served with Pinot Noir. For dessert, there's rum sponge cake with figs and candied cherries, followed by cheeses and fruits and coffee with fancy grand champagne cognac. 
And as the people meet around Babette's hospitality, a really powerful thing happens. Their defenses start to come down. The atmosphere changes and softens. Someone smiles. Someone laughs. Someone even puts an arm on someone else's shoulder, saying, after all, didn't the Lord Jesus say, love one another? And by the time the main course arrives, the people have been transformed by this gift of a meal. They're giggling, slurping, joking, and giving praise to God for their many years together. It's a powerful story. It's just a story, uh, but it's powerful because there's truth to it. Special things can happen when God's people feast and invite other people to join. One of the most important things we can do as a community is to become a people who break down boundaries and practice hospitality. Our dinner tables have the potential to be the most missional places in our lives. Table fellowship is an essential spiritual discipline. It was one of the most distinctive aspects of Jesus' ministry. Uh, he had a reputation, Matthew 11 tells us, for being a glutton and a drunkard because he was always hanging out with notorious sinners. I think if you want to contribute to growing gospel community, start intentionally inviting people to your table. Invite people within the church, of course, and invite those who have yet to know Jesus. Be prayerful about it and see what happens. Meals are, are special things. And they don't have to be feasts like Babette's, thankfully. Your house doesn't have to be clean, believe it or not. We've realized since we have children in our house, it's never clean. And we've just started, uh, well, it's clean once a week, but we don't clean it. Uh, <laughs> we've just tried to start going, hey, Come over. Come into the, the messiness of it. The church is a community of meals. It's a people who create space for others at the table. Meals. Here's the last thing that I want to look at. It's in this Colossians passage. It's the church is a community of music. Community of music. Page 925. It's a place where a multitude of personalities and experiences and ethnicities come together in harmony. It's a community of music. The epistle reading today is from Colossians 3, and it lays out a vision of a group of people that are able to, get, to come together as a community in Christ across all sorts of boundaries. Um, just before the verses we read, Paul says that in this community there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. All those people are there, but what Paul's saying is that all these very different people are, he says in verse 14, coming together in perfect harmony as they put on the love of Christ. Perfect harmony. The Greek word here is harmonia. Um, and in the ancient world, it didn't just m mean the narrow thing we think of as harmony, but rather ref referred to the whole field of, of music. It has also the meaning of concord or agreement among a group of people. The, the idea is that, that a, a group of people can be a, a, like a piece of music in that uh, all the pieces come together, the individual sounds contributing to some greater whole, each complementing the other and making space for the other. The community itself, the church, is supposed to be a work of creative art that's complex and multi-layered like that. So how does Paul see the church being able to become this 
kind of place of perfect harmony? Well, he tells them, look at what he tells them uh, in this passage, literally, verses 15 and 16. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. He tells them literally to sing together, specifically to sing songs that come out of the word of Christ, the message of the gospel. Paul seems to think that central to becoming a community of harmonia is actually singing together. Here's the crazy thing. The Apostle Paul just may be right. Uh, I looked up several scholarly research articles that show that, that have demonstrate that music has the ability to do powerful things in us. By ourselves, we can uh, experience music and our pain threshold goes up and our pleasurable sensations go up. But here's the thing. When it's done together, these effects are heightened dramatically. And it's more than individual therapy. Music sung together, the act of singing, uh, creates group identity, fostering a sense of belonging and positive associations with those with whom one sings. Um, there are indications that it works by the, the mechanism of syncing up our brains uh, and our, coordinating our body movements with others. It works better if you move your body, so maybe we should start do, moving our bodies together. I'm down. It would help because my kids are already moving their bodies. So um, one study by some Stanford researchers showed that people that listened to music and coordinated their movements together as a group were able to cooperate better and act more generously to one another when participating in economic games, even in situations that required personal loss for the sake of the group. They sing together and Things change in the way they relate. And so here's a simple application. We should sing. If we're going to be a community that's creative and imaginative in the way we live together across boundaries and differences, we've got to be a people who sing together. The scripture readings, the sermon, the prayers, the Eucharist, all essential. But what would they be if we didn't sing ourselves into them together? For most Christians around the world and throughout history, this is probably so obvious that it doesn't even need to be said. Uh, but we're heady, modern people, mostly white people, who, I'm not sure we always realize this, that the singing we do, it's not just some nice decorative element. We've, it's, it's essential. We've got to give ourselves more fully to the music and the liturgy uh, that we have at church. And I think uh, another thing I've been talking about and Dan's been talking about and others is we need to start thinking about the, how, about the songs we sing and how they're sung so that we can make them accessible to others. Uh, so they're able to join in the song. Uh, if we really want to become a, a more diverse and welcoming church, it will very likely involve expanding our musical repertoire. But we should sing together. If I were really good and organized, we'd just end the sermon right now with a song, but um, that's not where we're in. The church is a community of music. It's a place of harmony. Um, so when God created us in the beginning, 
he gave us the task to cultivate the earth together, to make things, to do things. Uh, making us in his image, he wanted us to be people who create together for the sake of his glory. But we fell into sin. Shame kept us from being the makers we were meant to be. Fear kept us from feasting together. The song became discordant rather than harmonious. But Jesus has come to renew us, to fill us with his spirit, and to make his church into a community of the new creation, a community of creativity. Isn't this a wonderful and joyous task we have, to be part of a creative and growing and gospel community? Let's pray.